Oma brr, Brenda Farsi with my black president. Oh, 1994, April 27. There won't be a day like that ever again. I mean, the sky was blue with a blueness that had never been there before. Guess who uttered those words? Do you give up? Should I give you a clue? A hint? I'll just tell you the answer. Don't worry. It was Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Dudu who said those words. It's hard to believe, but it's true. This coming Saturday will mark 25 years since South Africa's first democratic elections. How will you be marking the occasion? What uh, conversations will you be having with those around you? Do you ever, you know, take a minute, take time, take stock, uh, trace the steps of our democracy? Hmm? It was a multidisciplinary approach, of course. There was political intervention on the one hand, there was activism, civic unrest, uh, the learned laymen, uh, there were clergy, uh, ordinary people who all participated. And of course, different fronts eh? and different proverbial war zones where uh, the struggle was fought. And one of the landmarks of the struggle was Lily Sleeve Farm. It's now a museum. Uh, visitors of Lily Sleeve Farm can learn about the formation of the armed struggle against apartheid and about the famous Ravonia trial, uh, which led Nelson Mandela and his comrades to be sentenced to life in prison on Robben Island. Well, in the early 1960s or thereabout, the leafy, affluent northern suburbs of Johannesburg still consisted uh, mostly of farmland. And under the Group Areas Act, the farmlands of Ravonia were, of course, reserved for white people only. I think it was Arthur Goldreicher, a member of the South African Communist Party, moved to Lilisley Farm, a semi rural small holding in Ravonia that was in December 1961 with his family uh, who presented themselves as a typical wealthy white family. You know, nothing out of the ordinary there. Uh, but it wasn't long before the farm was used as a secret hideout for Nelson Mandela, Walter Susulu, Governor Mbeg, Raymond Mshaba, Ahmed Kafrada, uh, Arthur Goldreich, Dennis Goldberg, uh, uh, Lionel Bernstein and uh, was the home of Umkondo Wesizwe. Huh? rich part of our history, a sad, sad part of our history, but quite a heroic uh, one when we look back and we just see uh, the, the the contribution of ordinary uh, human beings who did the extraordinary. Well, to help us take a walk down memory lane and help us cultivate a sense of pride in our historical heritage uh, to our young people and pass it on so that they are also aware of the sacrifices, we're joined by CEO of Lily Sleeve, Nick Volpe. Nick, I haven't seen you in such a long time. I may have forgotten the pronunciation of your name, Walpi, Volpi. You have to have to advise because I think the last time we had a conversation, I was still with Morning Live, eh? That's correct. Years and years ago. So it's Walpi. Walpi. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thanks again for your time. My pleasure, and it's delight to be here. So I'm going to ask you to just give us a little bit of context because one of the uh, phrases that have become synonymous with Lily Sleeve Farm, as far as I'm concerned, is Operation Mayibuye. That's a point where push came to shove for the ANC. Tell us more. Okay. Well, Operation Mayibuye was the military plan that was being drafted to overthrow the apartheid state itself is a very interesting document because it ignites immense debate within the ANC. There are two schools of thought. The one school of thought was that it had been ratified, passed, approved. The other school of thought was that they were in the process of discussing it and because of the raid 
it wasn't passed. So there are these two schools of thought, but principally it was the strategic military document that they were putting together to launch an armed invasion effectively. And all this took place at Lilysleaf, you know, the planning, the strategizing. Maybe take us back in time. Who was involved? How were they involved? How did they get information to and fro? Just so we get a mental image of, of exactly what went down. Certainly. Well, let's start by contextualizing Lilysleaf. It was purchased in August of 1961, actually as a secret meeting place for the Communist Party who had been banned in 1950. Mm-hmm. Sharpville, which was a defining turning point in our liberation struggle, because it was that moment in our history which pushed the ANC to move away from solely passive resistance to a combination of passive resistance and armed struggle. And that led to the banning of the ANC. So it became incredibly difficult for the Communist Party to meet because all the safe houses that they were using suddenly became occupied Mm -hmm. by ANC activists who had gone underground. So they decided that they needed to purchase a place. So the Central Committee instructed um, Bram Fischer, who was the chairman of the Communist Party, to find a secret place. And they uncovered or came across Lilysleaf. And it was bought under the pretext that an uncle was ill and was recovering and needed a secluded place to recover. So it was purchased, as I mentioned, in August of 61 to become the meeting place of the Central Committee of the Communist Party, the Politburo. And they offered it to Nelson, who was already gone underground. So he moved there in October of 61. And as he says in his book, He wore the blue overalls of the time and he was Mm -hmm. waiting, looking after the place, waiting for his white master to move on to the property, being Arthur Goldreich and the family. So that was the starting point. And it evolved from that into the high command of the newly formed military wing. In 2002, the ANC actually said that the birth of MK Mm. was Lilysleaf. And um, my chairman, the former president, Helmut Motlanti, has a lovely saying. He was, says it was conceived in the field, born at Lilysleaf. Mm. But Lilysleaf went beyond that. It, and to describe it, let me use a quote from Nelson. On his last visit to Lilysleaf in 2005, he said what made Lilysleaf unique was it was a place of intellectual, ideological, strategic, military discourse and engagement. Mm. And it's the discourse and engagement which really, for me, stands out because it then went beyond just being the high command to becoming what I like to refer to as the inverted diaspora of the liberation movement. At one point, it was spread out geographically over the country and then it came into Lilysleaf, and it became the heartbeat, the nerve centre of the liberation movement, of a place where they engaged, they discussed, they planned, like Operation Maibuer. Now, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I then want to talk about how... It was, you know, it was discovered by the special forces. Um, you spoke somewhere about 007, the connection there. I want you to elaborate on that when we return. It's now 16 minutes after two. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Ayanda Ali P. 
All right, we continue our conversation with CEO of Lily Sleeve Farm, Nick Volpe. Nick, very quickly, talk to me about the day of the raid and how that came about, the uh, 007 element that you spoke of, and a peculiar family that just had moved not too far uh, from Lily Sleeve and was using binoculars and managed to spot some perhaps undesirables. Make sense of all of that for me, please. I think the the issue of the raid still is blurred in terms of how they uncovered Lily's leaf. We hold to the the belief that it was the CIA who had provided information as to the whereabouts of Walter Sisulu. In fact, we had a a conference recently on MK at Lily's leaf, and two papers that were delivered presented their own theories as to how Lily's Leaf was uncovered and how the raid took place. The one talked about the um, 10-year-old snitch who was the son of the people who owned the caravan park. The other spoke about a particular individual. Now, all of the stories are credible to some degree, but for us, what really defines the fact that we believe it was an external intelligence agency were three things. Firstly, we interviewed Henny Patu, who was involved in not only the arrest of Nelson back in 62, but also was part of the team that raided Lily's Leaf in, on the 11th of July 1963. And he describes how they drive up to the gate. The police officer rolls down his window and there is a farm laborer who is like the the watchman and he says is anyone here the farm laborer says no and they start to reverse and then a conversation pursues and eventually one of the police officers turns to lieutenant van veik and says what should we do his response is well we're here let's raid now that seems to give less credibility to the idea that there was an informer and it was properly planned because I always use the, the the example of if you have an informer that informs the police that there are drugs in a house, the police don't knock on the door and say, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, do you happen to have any drugs lying around the house? And the guy says no, and they close the door and walk away. I mean, that's the sort of kind of bizarre analogy. Then on the day of the raid itself, Dennis Goldberg and Ahmed Kathadra overhear the police saying, we've hit the jackpot. Which means they didn't know. Exactly. So if you go into the dictionary and look up the definition of hit the jackpot, it means surprise, we won something without expecting Mm. to win. So why use the word we've hit the jackpot if they already knew who was was there? Also, they were not sure at one point who they had arrested. They heard there was an argument taking place between a number of officers as to who these individuals were. We also interviewed several years ago Gerard Ludi, who was part of RID, which was the forerunner to the Bureau of State Security and was the remnants of British MI6. After they pulled out in 61, there was a small group made up of about five individuals, and it was referred to as the Republican Intelligence Department. Mm -hmm. And he had infiltrated Bram Fischer's cell. So he talked about um, the situation whereby he said that if they knew what was at Lily's Leaf, 
um, Colonel Vandenberg would have headed up the raid. He said Colonel Vandenberg was a megamaniac and a media-hungry individual. He said that he would have come with 200 policemen. The media and the entire area would have been cordoned off, not 16 policemen and a dog named Cheetah. So he even said they weren't aware of what they had uncovered. Mm. And, of course, everyone talks about... So in one of the papers that was delivered on the conference on MK about uncovering Lily's Thief, they talked about the 10-year-old snitch who had noticed and witnessed something, which, for me, this story personifies what makes Lily's Leaf so unique because he noticed something highly unusual, and that was white men and black men shaking hands. And he went home and he said, I've just witnessed this. They took him off to the local police wow. station, and the local commander said, the next time you're there, write down the number plate. Now, when you also a moment ago made reference to the James Bond that same caravan park, there was a lady who was living there, and she was a bird watcher. And she noticed one day, while she was viewing through her binoculars, two men up a telephone pole, who themselves had binoculars, who were looking over Lily's leaf. At the mm. time, she did not make any connection. It was only following the raid did she then become suspicious oh. as to who those individuals were. We believe those individuals were either MI6 or CIA. Because, again, another interesting comment was made by Dennis Goldberg and Ahmed Cathadra that during that winter there was this lone caravan parked in the caravan park, which they thought was highly unusual. They were very suspicious of this caravan. Mm -hmm. So at the end, you, there are numerous theories, but we still subscribe to the one of an external intelligence agency. Do you know what that says to me is that years later, we are still uncovering the truth. We're still getting to know uh, parts of our history that we thought we had exhausted in terms of, you know, getting to the bottom of, which then begs the question, the significance of Lily's Leaf going forward. Why is it still important that South Africans still engage with this part of, of, of who we are? Very simply, the memory against forgetting. Mm. That is so fundamental. Karl Marx said, if we repeat history, the first time is a laugh. The second time is a travesty. So he recognized that unless we ensure that we remember our past, we are on a course to repeat it. So the memory against forgetting is our new struggle because we do not in this country, in my humble opinion, really appreciate and understand what our struggle was about. The Freedom Charter, which I consider to be the most brilliant document mankind has ever written, is a document that most people in this country are not familiar with. Most people in this country do not understand the nuance of mm. what the words written on that document mean. Why is that document so significant? Because unlike the Magna Carta, unlike the Declaration of Independence, unlike the rights of man and citizens, it was written by the people of South Africa. It was written by the people who set out 
on pieces of paper, whether it was a cardboard, on a cigarette box, on a newspaper, set out their desires, wishes and aspirations as to how they would like to see the new South Africa. And the significance of Lily's Leaf is to keep that memory alive, to ensure that we remember, we understand and we appreciate. We think by memorializing people, by naming buildings, roads, and other structures after them, that we have captured the essence of the individual. We haven't. We are so far away from that. I mean, the fact that people think that O.R. Tambo is merely an airport, I would like to give a... what It's an amusing story, but it also highlights how far the understanding of our history has fallen. Mm. And it was told to me by the CEO of the R. Tambo Foundation. And she said, someone came up to once and said, I understand the Tambo part, but what I don't get is the awe. Wow. And the fact that someone doesn't wow. know that it's O-R and, uh, original, yeah. and has built it together to make the word or signifies that the names of these individuals are also being lost, mm. but not just the names, the meaning behind the names, what they signified, what they represented, and what they personified. Because you used the word extraordinary people doing extraordinary things at an extraordinary period in our history. Mm. And that needs an explanation. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm just getting lost in the trance that is your voice and the story and the context that you're providing. But just very quickly as we wrap up this conversation, we'll then have to take a break and uh, go to the news headlines. But what sort of artifacts can people engage with? I, I know that during the raid, um, a lot of uh, the documents, you know, were, were done away with. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. I, I can't remember if it was Dennis Goldberg who tried to flush uh, some of the documents down. I mean, he, he didn't succeed in doing that. But what sort of um, uh, documents, uh, uh, artifacts, memorabilia, you name it, can we interact with when we come to Lily's Leaf? One of my favorites is the truck. Tell us very quickly what we can uh, engage with. Well, we've got the truck. We have very few artifacts on display. Most Mm -hmm. of them are sitting in the archive. But what we do have on display, you've mentioned the truck. Mm -hmm. We have one of the original Freedom Charters. We purchased two of the known five. We don't know where the other three are. And we also have the one of the, how shall I say it, um, trunks of one of the farm Mm laborers. And we have a police uniform. But most of our artifacts, unfortunately, because of their rarity, their importance, are in the archive. We do have when in the, the exhibit on the German Democratic Republic where Sishaba was printed, we have some original copies there for mm. people to view. Tell us about the truck very quickly. Well, it was the, the truck is the African hinterland safari truck. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely story. Um, what it did was brought an unsuspecting tourist who took wonderful safari trips through Kilimanjaro, through and down into South Africa. What they didn't realize is every time that they would, or the tourist was sitting in the truck, what was they were sitting on was a ton of ammunition. Mm-hmm. And if I can quickly tell you one anecdotal story, I was working with an American who came out to do, a, you know, a series of interviews on education. He came to Lilysleaf. We were doing it there. And he walked up to me and he looked, he was stone white. And I looked up and I said, what's the problem? He said, what's that truck doing there? (laughs) And I said, he said, you're not going to believe it. I was one of the unsuspecting tourists (laughs) on that truck. Smuggling weapons. 
My goodness. Nick, I can listen to you all day. Thank you very much for coming through, Nick. Uh, Walpi, of course, is the CEO of Lily Sleeve. Consider going there as we mark Africa, not Africa Month, but I suppose it can be considered that. That's in May. Uh, but April is Freedom Month for us. April 27th, of course, when we celebrate celebrate 25 years of our democracy. Nick, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. We wrap it up. News up next.